Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 The Zone. Welcome in on a Tuesday morning. Hope you had a good holiday weekend. Had a lot of basketball over the weekend. Had a game pretending to be basketball. What is the point of the NBA All-Star Game? I mean, for the league to make money, but man... Is that the kind of thing that corporate people would just go to and then just uh, get on their private jets and fly out Sunday morning? I mean, who cares about the game? Saturday night, I mean, they have something there. The three-point shootout, I thought it was fun, again. And then adding a WNBA-NBA shootout. I mean, if you have the right personalities, and they did, Steph and Sabrina put on a show. That That was fun, you know? They were competing, they're making shots, great. But, man, the game, wow. It is just getting panned. I mean, really, just go the way of the Pro Bowl. Forget it already. If, and maybe it's hard for ESPN because, uh, you know, they're an NBA rights holder and the NBA might, might be mad at them if they compete it with it. But, man, Fox and CBS just put on a ton of college basketball. Sports fans are in front of the TV. They're suckers for this stuff. The game's been bad for, I don't know, at least a decade, but probably longer than that. And whenever I'm watching a game, and it goes south, and there's a blowout, and it's not interesting, or if it's over, I always turn to see what else is on. You get some tune-ins, do it. Because that just wasn't that just wasn't watchable. If, if you don't care, why should I, right? How many people have said that in the last 24, 48 hours? Meanwhile, the college basketball this weekend for the locals was interesting. Everybody was on the road. And of all the teams that I thought were going to win this weekend, Utah was last. <laughs> And yet they're the ones that did. That's why we like sports. It's our own little live drama. If you told me one team was going to win, I would have picked BYU because they're playing the last place team in the conference. There was a little, uh, you know, little warning shot across the bow. Oklahoma State had won the last couple of home games. But, man, they put a freshman in the lineup, and he just goes off. Just goes off. And BYU just struggled from the start, man. They never looked like they were in sync. They looked like they were on their heels the whole game, and they were. They, they were chasing the whole game. And, and you know, Utah State losing, you can kind of see that coming because it's hard to sweep a road trip. And CSU's pretty good. They're not great, but they're pretty good. And they're at home, and they've already lost you there. And CSU won. It's just not that surprising. But the least predictable thing was Utah at UCLA. I mean, they played such a bad game against Arizona State. They played such a bad game against USC. And right from the start against USC, they didn't look like they wanted to be there, just throwing up shots, hoping, contested shots. And, man, against UCLA, it was so different. It, it makes me think that whether it's the coaches or you know team leaders or both – uh, that was addressed because I thought they were very sharp right at the start of the game. They got out to a 7 nothing run. And even when stuff went wrong, you know, and Carlson took the three in transition and shot the air ball. I mean, they never quit on the play. KBK doesn't, doesn't quit. He saves the ball back in bounds. And uh, De- uh, Devon Smith doesn't quit. He's, everyone else on the court's flat-footed, and he's cutting the hoop, anticipating where can he save that. He can't save it that far in bounds, right? And so he cuts, and hey, the harder you work, the luckier you get, right? Smith's working hard, and sure enough, he grabs the ball and gets a lay-in. And, you know, they didn't dominate UCLA. I mean, the thing went back and forth. It was super tight. It was super entertaining. UCLA's playing good basketball. It went six in a row and eight out of nine since they got blown out at the Huntsman Center, 90 to 44. That was humiliating. And they played much better since then. But Utah was right there, just matching them. Step for step, bucket for bucket. 
Very entertaining game. And if Utah had played like that, uh, they would have won two or three conference road games by now. And they certainly would have won at USC. And if they keep playing like that, and I think they're going to win more games on the road in conference. That was just a, a really sharp, really impressive performance out of Utah. And, you know, if they don't get the last offensive rebound and Carlson gets the put back and they lose the game, it still would have been a good performance. It's easier to talk about the good performance when they win the game. But, you know, if that ball goes over the backboard and it looked like I think it got I think it got deflected and blocked. I didn't really see a definitive replay to convince me of that, but I, I think it did. Um, you know, but if any little thing happens, then they lose the game. I mean, it's a one point game, but I thought they just they played well. And when you play like that on the road, you give yourself a chance to win. You won't win them all. Utah State's played like that on the road a lot this year and they don't win them all. And they didn't win at CSU, but you give yourself a chance. And that's, that's all you can really have. In college basketball these days, there's just so much parity. Everything is so even. The three-point shot is a great equalizer. When it doesn't go, it's also a great equalizer. Um, usually when people say three-point shot's a great equalizer, it's because if it goes in, it gives the lesser team a chance to win. But the better team that's counting on it, and, you know, BYU's a better team than Oklahoma State, given a season full of results. But, man, they couldn't get a three-pointer to go in. And we know they're better than that, but some days it happens. I thought they got pretty good looks, too. You can probably quibble with a few of them, but I thought mostly they just missed them. Missed them. I thought they created good shots and just couldn't make them. So... A wild weekend, but that's college basketball. Wildly unpredictable, and you never know what the heck is going to happen next. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. Coming up, David Locke. Uh, he joined us on Friday. I know a holiday weekend. A lot of you missed it. Uh, we had a lot of stuff to talk about. Big picture with the Jazz and where things are headed. That's coming up next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It is 97.5 The Zone. And... We are brought to you by Murdoch Hyundai, Utah's number one Hyundai dealer for 18 years in a row. David Locke, coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, good morning on a Tuesday morning. It's Jazz Ticket Tuesday. Utah Jazz Ticket Tuesdays are brought to you by Utah Community Credit Union. Learn and earn the app paying your family to learn about money. UCCU, love where you bank. David Locke joined us on Friday, holiday weekend. A lot of you may have taken off already. So let me play that for you right now as we look at the Jazz and the NBA going forward here with a third of the season left. Here's David Locke with PK and I. It is all-star break, and I think the last two games were very different. You were commenting on the air during the Laker game. Weird vibe in here, which PK and I interpreted as that's a beaten team and a beaten fan base, and uh, it's just uh, a very unusual vibe. There's usually way more hope in the building. And in the fourth quarter against the Warriors, you got that. It was normal. It was loud. They lost at the end, but uh, the vibe is back. Do you think over the final basically third of the season here after the All-Star break, we'll see the team play hard and compete? The, you know, feeling sorry for yourself and bummed about the trades and all that. I guess that's a process you go through. Well, they've gone through it now, right? Now we'll see competition, I mean, I, I fire. There, there definitely was like some soul. Like I, I thought we were soulless kind of for three games there. Like if that's kind of an esoteric term, but I think I'd go with that. And I thought there was some soul that kind of returned, some like texture to me. Um, maybe those are all the same things you're saying, and, and we're just saying the exact same thing and I'm um, trying to be fancy. Um, but that's, yeah, I did feel as though there was a little little return of texture to the Utah Jazz, like that there was some substance to what they were doing last night. 
What do you think the chances are that they actually draft three players in consecutive drafts and keep them on the team? Unlikely. It's too many. Right. But what do I think the chances are that you could take 34 and 28 and get to 20? Maybe, particularly depending if you have a team that's in the, like, tax or something of that sort. It right. doesn't – I mean, I think there's just different ways to do it. Like, I think – like, I actually think 34 or whatever that pick's going to be is a really interesting pick because if I understand – first, you can sign them for four years now. And two, if I understand the way the luxury tax teams work, it's better for them to have that pick almost than the 27th pick. So you could probably use – you know, I don't know, but you could use 30 to get to 27, and you have 27, 28. Can you use 27, 28 to get to 20? What so, about the possibility you know, of a player and a pick to get a better player and maybe to provide some relief to a team that needs to shed a little salary and is willing to give up a pretty good player? 100%. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it just is giving you flexibility. I mean, or even take New York, right? Like, everyone's talking about the great collection of picks New York has and all the things. And they've done great things with their moves. Um, you know, former Jazz front office guy Walt Perrin's been reunited with a bunch of Jazz players. Um, and so I think when you look at that um, and the way that they've kind of, grow, you know, using – none of their picks are very sexy, but it's just the fact that they have a bunch of them and people have been pretty excited about them. And then, you know, they actually didn't use a lot of them. They used the Evan Fournier contract and doing some things like that. So um, I think – I just think having those pieces turns out to be really valuable. And I, and I really think on the core of this I, – I know there's been just a lot of emotion about the trades, and, and I respect how much, you know, we love our own players and – all of those kind of things. I really, really, really think that it comes down to like one decision. And like, I thought Justin Zanuck said, you know, um, you know, we're playing bets. We're making bets. Here's the bet they made. The bet they made is that a late first round draft pick in this upcoming draft will turn out to be more valuable to them either as a player or an asset than Ochai Baji. That's it. There weren't there weren't really a lot of other bets being made there. Simone Fontecchio was a restricted free agent, and a team with seventy million dollars of cap space just called you and asked for him. It only means one thing: they're about to offer him a massive or decent sized deal that you're probably not going to match. Like as much as you like your player, like it doesn't fit. He's thirty one years old, and blah blah blah. Like Kelly Olynyk's a free agent, so there was one bet that was made here. Yeah, I Can think I give my other little thing that's driving me crazy right now? It's easy to understand what you're saying, but go ahead. I need a little help on this one. I keep listening and keep hearing this. Oh, my gosh. Like, we've ripped away the heart of the team. And I, I think we, I think it's like they like the guys that got traded, right? And, like, Lowry's going to leave because now we're not. Like, what were we going to do, truly? Let's just be totally freaking honest for a second. Like a team that Vegas had 36 wins at the beginning of the season is the projection, maybe 34. Tell me what you really think we were going to do. Like we don't make a single trade. We hold together. We don't do anything to break everyone's heart. I got it. We love our players. I think it's awesome. But can we have a moment of reality? 
I want both of you to tell me where you think we would have finished on April 15th. The most likely scenario was that they would have been the ninth or 10th seed in the West. I think they, I think they would have won the battle and beaten somebody out and that they would have been the ninth or 10th seed and they would have lost and been out of the playoffs in either one or two games. The best case scenario you spelled out a week ago is that they would have won and gotten into the real playoffs and been eliminated in five. That was absolutely top shelf best scenario. Can, can we just make sure that everyone understands that your scenario has us feeding out the Lakers and the Warriors? Or the Warriors. The Lakers or the Warriors. Well, you had it Well, ninth would be both. That would be, again, best case. You beat them both. And I don't know with the Lakers if they're going to play down the stretch. That might not be as hard as you as you say. They've had a lot of injuries. Maybe they'll stay healthy the last third of the season. Maybe. PK, what was your, no, your likely case scenario? Uh, very similar to what he's saying. Uh, I don't see how you can argue any differently. Maybe I got caught up in the good run that they had uh, several weeks ago thinking, oh, maybe they could be better because these other teams got uh, that you're mentioning are led by two old guys and how long can they continue and blah, blah, blah. I could let my mind wander. Uh, so I understand what you're getting at, but the way that I look at it too is that how many seasons are you going to go through that? Well, best case scenario, we're only going to be in the play-in, so we keep doing this again next year. And if that's the case, do we do it the year after? When do you get out of that? Yeah, no, that's 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 the struggle. I'm I'm 100% with you on that. That's that's a that's the question, but. You, okay, you can decide we're, we're getting out of it. But I don't know that, like, I don't think you're getting out of it today. Agreed. I mean, no, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that's, yeah, you got to make sure you don't become Detroit or Sacramento for 20 years. Or Washington hasn't been to, Washington hasn't done anything like 30 years. Yeah, you got to be really careful. That's why I bring up the scenario about a player and a pick or two bringing back a good player because then you get out of it more quickly. If you're trading two picks to move up, I mean, you got to do it if you really believe in the guy, but that's still, that's the long way. And and you're drafting somebody who's 19 or 20 years old, and how much are they going to win before they're 23, 24, 25? And that means you're pushing out three, four, five years. And this is, this is the essence of the trick. I mean, what you'd like to do is find a partner in crime for Lowry who's really good and while simultaneously by year three or four, Keontae is good enough to understand how to win, and by year three, Taylor Hendricks is playing like Jonathan Kamingo or Jalen Johnson, and you've got, you know, because frankly, you know, what Oklahoma City is doing is, is different right now. You don't usually see guys winning this early in their career. You usually see it's kind of what Orlando is doing, which is you've got a bunch of nice young pieces who don't really know how to win, and they show you flashes, and then they fall apart a little bit. Yeah, I can buy all that, but now it's on the onus is on management to make sure they cash in. You know, I look at Phoenix, where I got family, so I follow them to a degree. They went 10 years 
without it and without a postseason, which is just inexcusable. And a large portion of was just a bunch of horrendous deals that I mean, not deals, but draft choices on and on. The Mark Creek, Chris, Dragon Bender, Alex Land. These are all top 10 picks. Uh, uh, Josh Jackson. I think his name was out of Kansas was like the fourth pick and, and, and they sucked. So now management has got to go to work and get some good players. There's a key moment in Phoenix that's worth us thinking about. Phoenix does exactly kind of what the jazz have done here the last years for a year with Jeff Hornacek in which they vastly exceed expectations. Everyone gets super excited. And then they, Decide to put all their – they go for it. I think they trade for, like, Goran Dragic or, or something where they trade Goran. I don't remember all the details. And then next thing you know, they, they, they try to rush the system. And next thing you know, Oral Watson's their head coach. And next thing you know, they're drafting Josh Jackson with the fourth pick. Like, if you go stem that back, that's the first year in which Jeff Hornacek is the head coach. And they, they kind of – they do the exact opposite. They go rush the system, and it puts them into a disaster. Then they hit on Devin Booker, and we've got to hit on our version of Devin Booker at some point. Yeah, they had 48 wins, did not make the playoffs with 48 wins. And then they thought, oh, my gosh, we're this close, and they made a bunch of horrific deals. And now everybody from there is long gone, including the owner. Yeah, I mean, that is literally the model that Jazz are trying to avoid right now. How much value do you think there is in Keontae George playing in games like he played in last night? Right right after his coach, with you standing right there, Will Hardy was talking about they've got to feel the arena, they got to feel all that adrenaline and know i got to settle down and we got to get a good bucket here. I can't get all caught up in the hype. And then, because you were asking the question about what happens when AD gets hot, right? And, and what happens when, uh, I forget who the other star, oh, Kawhi Leonard gets hot. And so sure enough... You go out there and Clay Thompson has the third quarter of his life and is hitting everything, and the arena got whipped into that frenzy in the fourth quarter. How much can they really grow in the last third of the season, even though it looks like they're playing for nothing? I had one of the best conversations I've had with a coach in a while about rookies. Um, and we were talking about things, and the coach said to me, I, I just don't know that he wants to be quoted, so I'm not trying to not give him credit. I'm just, you got what I'm saying. He said to me, don't worry about when a rookie does something the first time. See what he does the next time. So, Keontae answers the bell last night. He's great. But with a minute 30 left in the game, he ends up trying to take it over, right? Like, that was the travels, a huge play that kind of cost him the game. On the night where Keontae is a total genius, he goes one-on-one, breaks the play with a left-hand dribble down the lane, and ends up getting himself turning turning it over on a travel that, to some extent, eliminated. You know, really was very vital in the loss. Okay, don't worry about that. He did that. What did he do the next time? I think that's what we're talking about with Keontae and all these young players. Is what do they do the next time? So let me give another example on Keontae. I was really dismayed when Aaron Holiday punked him. I don't know if you remember, but Aaron Holiday sees Keontae not playing very hard, comes in the game, gets into his shorts on the very first play of the game, or they did, steals the ball from him, comes back, runs up his chest the other way, totally punks him. I mean, totally punks him. Keontae didn't do anything. So I was talking to someone about it, and I was like, that, like if you do that in this league, you're, you're going to get punked forever. Like, you, you can't do that. 
They're like, don't worry about it. Let's see what he does the next time. He didn't realize what was happening to him at the time. So next time Keontae's in a game where he's having a great night and he's rolling, and it's a key moment like that, does he try to force it one-on-one or does he stay inside the system and let the game come to him and let the game speak to him? Those are the things that matter. But Keontae is showing terrific growth. He was 99th out of 100 in pick-and-roll efficiency when he got hurt in December. He's 17th in NBA pick-and-roll efficiency since then. That's a massive, massive growth and jump for a player. How much do you think Colin Sexton has changed opinions about him this season? Oh, my gosh. Has any player changed opinions about him more in the NBA? In the entire NBA. That's interesting. I mean, Colin Sexton was known as a – I mean, Will Hardy basically admitted it. Will Hardy, in a press conference this year, one of the more interesting answers to any question he was given this year, Will Hardy said, sometimes you've got to learn from the player. And and Colin Sexton's taught me more – than any player I've ever coached in the sense that, that Will admitted, yeah, I was influenced by every story I'd heard. You know, every story about him, which was the fact that he was a ball hog and he put up points on a bad team and he didn't do anything for teammates. And he's like, I- I've experienced nothing similar. The guy's one of the great teammates. We saw it last night with John Collins. He, stayed, you know, he was the one who was staying engaged in the game last night when John Collins threw the ball into the crowd. And John's dismayed by it. John's forgotten that there's still four seconds left in the game. And there's a foul that has to be committed, and we still, we're not done. Like, in fact, we weren't done because Colin got a great look. But Colin's the one who came to John and said, hey, let's keep going. We still, like, and then I don't know if you caught it, but the words inbounded really quickly, and we almost didn't get to the foul. Like, we almost were so dismayed by the ball going out of bounds that we, to Will's point about the ball going up and down, I almost didn't foul. And luckily, I think it was Keontae, it might have been Colin, who actually made the foul on Steph Curry. And so, Will said it about Colin, but it's just the absolute, like, let, let's, let, let's acquire a guy and let him show us who he is, not let everyone's opinion show us who he is, because he's shown to be exact opposite. And then on the floor, he has slowed down and is being able to distribute the basketball, and he was the worst assist-to-usage rate player in the NBA for two years, basically, which means that, like, the rate of assists the amount of times he shot was the lowest of any player in the league. That's a ball hog. And he and the veterans in Cleveland in his like first year like revolted around him because he never passed. That is not who we are seeing at all in any way, shape, or form. It's awesome. I'm so happy for Colin because if I'm honest about it, earlier this year I made a comment to someone that I've never been around a player with better intentions with less chance of getting it done. And he proved me 100% wrong. <laughs> that is a great line repeat that one more time let people absorb that i've never been around a player with better intentions of less chance of getting it done and he proved me a hundred percent wrong and a little bit to what will Hardy's saying i'm sure my thought on that was biased by everything i'd heard and what i'd seen about him but the truth of the matter is he's an endless worker he has boundless energy he plays hard every night he's gutsy he gives your team a little texture and edge, and he's really good. Like, he's got one of the five best first steps in the NBA. He's really good. Like, I've always believed that about him. Even when we traded for him from Donovan, I got kind of – I don't know if you guys wouldn't remember this. I obviously would because it's my own – you know, you, you remember when people criticize you. But I kind of came out and said, like, hey, this is one of the better offensive players in the league. He doesn't have any – I said, he doesn't have any idea to win. He doesn't have any idea to help his team win games. But this is an elite, elite offensive player that 
now is beginning to learn how to be that. Now, there are still some struggles for him. Like, is he at 6'1", though he thinks he's 6'7", and plays like he's 6'7", um, at times, you know, good enough defensively undersized to be able to stay on the floor in big moments. His effort is certainly there, and I wouldn't doubt him. Like, let's give him a chance because he's proven everything else to be the case. Um, have you guys heard the Duran Sharp uh, film study story? I think Will told this publicly. I'm pretty certain I can tell this story. Have you guys heard this? Let's hear it. No. So Duran Sharp is a 6'11", 260-pound center for the Brooklyn Nets, and they were in a film session, and Sexton's, like, pinned down kind of at the rim to, on a switch, guarding Sharp. And, um, and like, they're saying to, like, Colin, like, you got to talk defensively. you got to call for help at that point. And he's like, why? <laughs> I got him. I'm good. And they're like, he's 6'10". Yeah, I got, I'm good. I got him. No way he was going to score on me. Now, he might be right because he was Deron Sharp, but the concept is still the same, like, and this is what you have to just love about Colin, is that Colin's guarding Anthony Davis in the post. He fully thinks he has him. Like, it's going to be no problem. I got him. Like that, and, and you know what? You have to have illogical confidence at time to help your team, and he certainly does. You would know the answer to this more because you're traveling with the team. You know, through the COVID era, we had really no interaction with players. And the rules are different. There's a little more now, but there's still not a lot. But the two times that I've accidentally had interaction with him, he comes off as a hyper-positive person. To the point you wonder if it's kind of a, is this really who he is? Or like he's dealing with the media, so he's making sure he's hyper-positive in this moment. And watching him during games, I kind of see that. And I'm starting to think that he is just a hyper-positive person. That's just how he is. Do you see a lot of that? I might, put the word, I might put the word and in between, and then I think he'd have him perfectly. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, I truly, like, the first part of my like comment about Colin is I've never been around a player whose intentions are better. Colin would do the right thing every single time. We'll do. We'll try to do the right thing every single time. Like one of the things that he's gotten through, that's I mean, it's just so impressive what he's done this year. When Colin used to want to do the right thing so much that my analogy I use is he used to buffer. Like he'd look like a computer screen with a little circle on it, and he'd be at the top of the key with the ball, thinking, "Okay, if." And you could see him calcing it, right? Like. Okay, if Lowry comes off the pin down, then I'm supposed to do this. But if we're doing this, then i got to do this. i got to do it right. Gotta, and it was like it was causing an paralysis by analysis because his desire was so clearly intended to do the right thing. But his game at the time was just pure, unadulterated speed and ambition. He's now changed that. Like, you don't see him sitting at the top of the key waiting for it and buffering. He's reading it quicker. He's slowed down a great deal. He's coming on a pick and roll and sitting in the pocket and letting a play play out and then using his strength. I mean, the work that his coaches have done with him is awesome to the credit also of Colin. He's just got such great intention. But I mean, I think if you go look at his game log, that assist number is five, six, five, six, five, six, five, six, five, six, with some regularity now. And the other thing that we probably don't talk about enough He's one of the most efficient guards in the NBA, and I will go to my grave 
preaching that below average efficiency players are so much more detrimental to your team than anyone in this league talks about. They are absolutely the the death of success. Uh, David, I while you were talking there, I've looked it up, and he is averaging just a shade under six assists since the per game since the first of the year, which is dramatically better than we saw from him in October, November, December. Uh, I don't know. I'm doing the math here real fast, but it looks like it's basically looks like he's almost doubled his assists since the first of the year. Can you go to his first two years in the NBA and look at what his assists per minute's labor? Uh, I can. Yeah, do that for me, please. <laughs> yes, he can. I get right. I get right on that. And, and, was, and how many shots he took is probably a value in that number, also. He and was, compare that to where he is today. He was averaging one assist every ten or eleven minutes his first couple of years in Cleveland, and this year, okay. the entire season, he's averaging about one assist every five minutes. That's incredible. So that is much better. While still while still shooting about the same amount, right? Uh, he was shooting, yeah, roughly. He's shooting a little more now, but yeah. not much. Just a little. But that's pretty great. That's pretty great. Like, um, and that also, by the way, and, like, this is one little bit to where you guys, we started the conversation that I think is important. Like, what year is this for him? Basically, he missed a full year due to surgery, and last year was somewhat of just kind of a getting back to health year. But what is this, his fifth full season of the NBA now playing? Uh, is that right? This yeah, is, what is it? <laughs> this is his sixth year, but he did have the lost year where he only played 11 games right. in 2021-22. All right, so Keontae's in year one, Taylor's in year one. This is Colin making this massive jump at year five. We saw Lowry make a massive jump at year, I think it was six or seven. You know, we've got to give these guys a little breathing space, but that's also what makes this whole – process of trading your five best players and starting over really, really difficult is that players take time as do humans because they're actually not just video games um, to get better and learn and evolve and mature and realize what's important and what's not how to play circumstances and you know, a little bit to that comment earlier of a rookie, don't worry about what he does the first time, worry about what he does the second time like, don't worry about what somebody does their fifth time. Worry about what they do their 15th time. It just takes a long time to have their 15th time of doing things. David, we got to run. We appreciate the time. Enjoy the all-star break. And we will uh, hear you again when the Jazz return to action after a week off. And by the way, I promise you, we're going to look super good in the next first six games back compared to what we looked like in the last four games. Because it might have nothing to do with us. Quality of the opposition, or lack thereof. <laughs> Just matters, baby. Thank you, David. Charlotte, Washington, Atlanta, San Antonio. We're going to look way better. There is David Locke. DJ and PK, reminder, we're brought to you in part by America First Credit Union. Get the official debit card of the Utah Jazz, University of Utah Sports, Ralph Salt Lake, and more exclusively at America First Credit Union. All right, DJ and PK, when we come back, PK and I are talking Cougars. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. Good morning, PK. Yeah. Are you ready for some football talk? 
depends. <laughs> on what? Well, I'd put the NFL to rest for a little bit, but college is never put to rest. We're on here with our teams. We just had Kalani Sataki on. And recruiting, rearview mirror, spring football, next. To yeah. your point, there's always something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also with the change to the Big 12, he talked a lot about, he talked about some specific players, but he talked a lot about philosophy, the path, and the uh, the game plan, if you will. And uh, you went right to quarterback, which is a good thing to go to because it's the most important position. It's one fans get way into. And his theory on one-and-dones yeah, only if they have some familiarity with the staff and or system because it's a lot to ask either way. If you played in that system, maybe, if it's the right guy. And I suppose the Bohannon situation is different a little bit there with uh, Grimes at Baylor and Bohannon and Baylor running the things that they run here with A-Rod and all. Shorten the learning but, curve. But it's... It, it, it's dangerous. I think there's more to it than he Kalani's letting on. I think when you look at it, the pressure is on these guys to win next mm-hmm. year, and then it really mounts if they don't get it done. If they don't win at least six, seven games, right? Whereas if they would have won that this year, and Retzlaff had gone even two and two, uh, okay, let's say that Retzlaff goes two and two, so they're seven and five and going to a bowl game. Pressure's off. I, don't, I, wonder, totally if, I wonder if they take Bohannon. Ooh, don't they need to? Just for the depth perspective? I mean, there's so many teams no. that use three quarterbacks. Right. I understand that. But I'm talking about a one-and-done kid. Do you take somebody else? I'm not saying don't take anybody, mm-hmm. but I'm saying do you take a one-and-done kid because they've got to win this year. Was there somebody else out there that they could have gotten that had more eligibility and come in and competed uh, like a Retzlaff, so maybe that situation where they went specifically to a one and done, like they did with Slovis. And yeah, I would like to see an alternate universe to see how much how interesting a one and done kid would be if they saw oh, there's a JC kid with a couple of years of eligibility left who just went two and two, and he's more likely to be handed the job. Yeah, well, then you don't I know want you, that kid in the first. Place. I know you don't like that, but I think it happens <laughs> all the time. That uh, whole the whole politics thing of it, yeah. Maybe with a couple more wins, things could have played out very differently. And yet here they sit. Well, then if they had a couple more wins and he really showed well, then maybe you don't need him. Maybe you don't need another one. Maybe you, I think you do need another one. But you're right; you might not need him. Maybe it would have gone a different way. Well, you they, need you need depth at quarterback, and they don't have it. Uh, I think it's an open I mean, question what, what they have in, in, in Red Who that quarterback? <laughs> <laughs> Utah literally has no one who took a snap. Yep. They don't have depth behind Rise. Who right. has depth? As they said, as Kalani himself said, they have the competition. You lose, you leave. It's L&L barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that. That was nice. <laughs> I'm hungry. Let's go. <laughs> you lose, you leave. I drive by R and R when I get on and off the freeway. I always think I don't go there often enough. I mean, I go there. I just don't go but there. This often is L and L. It would be different, but that's what you're playing off of, and we all know it. Yeah, right. So you have to look at it that way. That's what we have. That's the situation that we have here. What team really has depth? You may have it in the spring, but do you have it in the fall? <laughs> Right? 
Well, that's where you, you string the competition along and hope nobody leaves. That's not the real world. They often leave. They bounce around like crazy, man. Quarterbacks this is musical going, chairs. Quarterbacks going to three schools is no longer news. No. Look who was way ahead of his time. <laughs> who? A oh, former Heaps? Cougar quarterback, Jake Heaps, yes. Way ahead of his time. Sad story. Yeah. Um, but he's doing fine now, thank goodness. And yeah. that's what matters most. And I just don't know that you can build depth. You have to have – you look at Utah. They have the potential to be in a good spot. Rising, knock wood, he's healthy. You got Wilson. You got – what's the other kid's name? Rose. Yeah, those guys haven't got out on the field yet. And Wilson's just getting there, obviously. But then you look to have those guys. See, they think, okay, now I've got uh, a 10th-year a senior who's going to finally leave at some point here. This guy can't come back. I mean, they better not have some Finally the end of the run. 25, he's coming back. No. Well, then the position is wide open. So you can hang out for a little bit here. Right? But if Rising was a junior, guys are gone. Yeah. Gone. So I don't know that you can get depth. Do you think BYU has depth right now? Do you think after spring ball, after eyeballing each other, one of the guys might take off? Because baked into what I said earlier was the assumption that they would both be here in September, which as you were talking, and I was thinking about other schools and other transfers we've heard about or read about or watched happen. I probably shouldn't have thought that. Right. <laughs> you can't. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, I think they'll both be there, but who knows? I mean, they've got a little separation in age. I don't think that spring ball will determine anything. So, yes. And I think they purposely make sure spring ball doesn't. Right. Doesn't determine anything. Right. Because then a player's more likely to take off. And used to be that spring ball was wide open for the media so you can make your own judgments. No more. Right. So they're going to tell us, oh, Red oh, really look good today. Yeah. Bohannon look good today. I mean, it's not going to be blah, different. Blah, yada, or yada, yada, they both yada. look good. Blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So they're going to they're going to nurse the situation. And then, you know, and then it's summer workouts, you know, see who takes charge. And then in, and when we get to training camp, then you're getting really down to the end. You can transfer in training camp, I suppose, but the idea of an opportunity to play that very season yeah. becomes super slim. One thing I did notice that we didn't get to him when I was looking at the recruits is that you know, about half the kids are Utah kids, ballpark, and probably about a quarter are California kids, ballpark. And uh, the Utah kids, that bodes well for us because that means they got a lot of friends and family who knows what's going on and it's going to leak. I mean, they, can, they can ban us, but the more locals there are, the more word's going to get out. Oh, those storylines? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But That's... I think it's great that they've got a number of Utah kids because Utah football has just been increasingly good in the talent. Yep. And I just think it, it looks bad on your program when you lose locals. And they can get, the more local they can get, the better. And for them, obviously, the more LDS they can get better. That's a different mm-hmm. situation that isn't exclusively unique to BYU, but certainly it's predominantly associated with BYU because those guys, when they leave, it's a knock on the program, and they have to make sure that they get those guys and they're not uh, succeeding at high levels for other teams. It's just, it rubs BYU fans wrong. The perception isn't good. So they have that opportunity to do that, and now they have the opportunity in which they developed guys last year 
and the, really the pressure is going to be magnified. There's always sorts of there's always tons of pressure on those guys. All sorts of pressure on BYU football because of its high profile, and now it's going to grow even more because they had that losing season. And I think that I think that's primarily why they brought in Bohan. And they could say that if they would have went eight and four, they would have brought him in anyway. But I don't think so. And I think your point that he's not coming if they're eight and four is well taken. I think that's the the best point you've made so far in our eight and a half minute discussion here is that they did go eight and four, maybe even a seven and five. Does he come? Yeah. But well, eight and four, assuming that Retzlaff still plays and that Retzlaff delivered some of those wins. Well, under yeah, the circumstances right. that they had yeah. last year, yeah. Because then he's just so much more likely to be the starter, and Bohannon's the play point. He's either got to play because he wants to have a pro future, or he's got to play because he doesn't have a pro future, and this is the last year he gets to play football. Either way, he's got to play. So. Yeah, yeah, but if he plays his cards right and gets to meet more people, uh, there's a lot of money to be made in coaching. Fact. 100%. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Either training or coaching. You can go either way with that these days. Right. You look at Jason Beck was a JC kid. He his senior year, he played one game. Started, Utah State. Started Utah State, right. Yeah. And John Beck had ankle injuries. Right, and, and they knew they could win. He played and he won, Beck. but how things gone for him post? He's, he's, don't use, don't let sports use you. Yeah. You use sports. Right, and he's been in coaching. Yep. And as he is with the Bronco in New Mexico now, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And he went with Bronco in Virginia. Then he was with an eye in Syracuse, I think. And so he's been able to have a job and probably make more money than he's going to make elsewhere and have more fun. Now there's more pressure into it. So, I mean, there's something to be said if Bohannon comes here and is a loyal soldier and all that stuff. And then word gets out, hey, he's a really good guy. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see about that. But my guess is when we have training camp first day on that Monday in August, he's on the team and they're going to extend it there. And if I had to bet, I would bet on him starting. I think you're right. But I wouldn't bet a lot. But if they don't, so it's 60 40. I don't know. I was going to go 55. Really? Yeah. Wow, you're really not betting a lot. Right. Right. But if they don't win out of the gate, they go to Retzlaff pretty quick. Because then they got to know what they have. A, to see if they can salvage the season, and B, to find out what they have going forward. And they have to. Unless they're losing, I guess, you know, and I don't really see that. But if they're losing a bunch of high-scoring games and the offense is humming, then maybe they don't make a move. But They have to find ways to get Bulls eligible. And for them... It's an absolute must to go 3-0. and Take the pressure off when you get to conference. Yeah. Right. They go 3-0. and zero. But that's what they thought when we beat Arkansas. That's at least what I thought when they beat Arkansas. Take the pressure off, less heat when you get to conference, and they still didn't get there. Yeah, but they also, too, I think it underestimated that Slovis went down. Yep. Well, it was a bit, that was a big factor. And they were winning at least uh, head above water. They were. When he wasn't down. So I understand that, uh, but they've they've got to find a way to go 3-0, and and they most definitely should, and then uh, see what the conference is. And I buy what he's saying as far as you have to go through it to see it, especially with young people. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that now I mean, they he'd know. gone through it. So he had a better idea. They didn't. Right. And and the leaders of the program, the head coach and two coordinators, ironically enough, were with the Utes 
when they made that transition. And then it took three years to get them established, and off they went. Most and part, they've been pretty little, good since. Maybe you can do it a little faster now with the transfer portal. Well, but think, BYU yeah. has to wait out so many missionaries. And Utah waits out some missionaries, but, but I don't as think much. as no many. One, so. No one works, waits as much. Yeah. I mean, sure, but sometimes the missionaries, like this Swanson kid, they're all excited about a tight end. He's going to play. He's already in school. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he's still a freshman. I mean, I they built up say, the yeah. Powers Bowers kid big time last year, and he didn't do anything. Yep. And I guess that's partially the reason why they changed coaches at tight end. Because uh, he came in with all sorts of hype, and then didn't really lead. Didn't even get on the field. Yeah. Never heard of him. Like, wait a second, I thought he was all this and that. And so you never really know about those younger dudes. But I do think that they're they have a grasp and a, a deep understanding of what it takes to make the transition. And they did have an extra year to prepare for it, recognizing that uh, compared to Utah, Utah had one, they had two recognizing that kids go on missions. But now you're getting kids back from missions. And he brought up the McKenzie kid, Brian McKenzie's yeah. son, and Hagen. Those two kids can move. They run. They can run. So you have an opportunity there to add some speed, and you desperately need that. Because I think that's one of the things that you see at the higher level is the actual speed. And you see it from all levels of football. Now, you know, the defensive lineman isn't going to run as fast as a safety. But for a defensive lineman, those guys are going to be at more athletic. They're going to be bigger, yes. stronger, that type but, of things. But for a team that needs to win now, the, the, the people who talk about the missions and the older guy and how do we play against these, you know, seniors who are 24, yeah, but this is where they're paying the price. This is the downside. The first year back from the mission isn't always produ- productive. And so to say, yes, they're coming back, and maybe they will contribute, but there have been plenty of guys who come back and they contribute just not right away coming off the Understood, mission. Understood, but speed, I think, is something that you can use. Son, go deep. <laughs> Even if we don't throw the ball throw to you. You've stretched the defense. Right? Yeah. Got to respect the speed. And Hagen, and uh, I saw Hagen play a ton. McKenzie, uh, you know, I can go by what they say because he was mm-hmm. down in the St. George area. And you need speed. And I think they've infused speed into this lineup that they desperately need. DJ and PK, college football never really goes away. Spring ball is just around the corner. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 The Zone. Coming up next, what is trending? The headlines are on the way.